Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Apocalypse, God's Judgment, Joshua 7, 24 to 26. And chapter 7 has been a long and difficult one to preach. If you've been for all of them, the four or five times we've been in here, it's tragic, it's negative, but boy, it's a necessary warning. And this last, this is the last tough sermon for a while because we're going to have the Dominican Republic report, we're going to have our baptism, then we go to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a happy chapter, all right? So hang in there, this is the last tough one, and then we get to chapter 8, which is a positive one. But this chapter 7 is very, very important to face because it's, it's us. They were having victory after victory, taking the promised land, just like us, living our spiritual life. And then there, then Achan had the hidden sin, and as a result, they experienced defeat. defeat. And then Israel experienced discipline, and now we come to judgment. Achan's judgment is next here. And we have a picture here in Joshua 7 of the final judgment. The final judgment. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 to 10... I'll pick it up about halfway through verse 7 there where he says, This will happen. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you have believed our testimony to you. So we see a picture of the final judgment. We see a type of this here with Achan here. And this is hard for many to accept, because we've been conditioned in America, in the USA today, that God is love. God is really just Santa Claus. And he's, you know... Santa is God, and we just, God is love, God is love. Now listen, God does love us, no doubt about it. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God sacrificed his son for us, he loved us. But don't forget why he sent his son, because he's holy and just. God is holy and just and loves us. He's not just love. He's holy and just. And that's why he loved us so much that he sent his son, his one and only son, to die on a horrible death in our place to pay the price, to take our punishment, to take the consequences of our sin for every law we've ever broken. Think of everything we've ever done wrong. <laughs> I could make a long list for myself. But God, Jesus died for every one of those sins, past, present, and future. And that's, that is his holiness and justice demanded that, and his love sent his son Jesus. But if we won't believe in him, if we won't accept him, if we won't take that substitute, he was a substitute on that cross, he was our ransom. If we won't take that ransom, that way out, we are facing, still facing God's judgment. We're still under that judgment. In fact, John 3.16 goes a little further on to John 3.36, where he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Let's pray. Father, we 
Thank you for the worship and the team that led us today. We thank you for the, the, the reminders of seeing the, the baptisms and, and the new lives we have in Christ. We thank you for bringing us all through many struggles and trials to be here today. It's unbelievable this last week. There's just been like this tidal wave of testing. Lord, we thank you for bringing us through that and bringing us here. And now we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word in a powerful way. We pray for your mercy and grace for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's pick it up back in Joshua chapter 7. Now brace yourself, because this is as tough as it gets. Well, we'll start with verse 15. Just a reminder, what God commanded Joshua to say. He said, He who is caught with a devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So God had already warned them. Don't touch anything, because remember, Jericho was devoted to the Lord, all going to be destroyed. Then after someone had stolen something, they still gave it. After the defeat, people were killed. The battle, 36 people killed because of the, 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 the sin here that was hidden. Still, they had a chance to come clean and re, repent of that, and they didn't. And so we see this verse 15, very severe. And then we go to verse 24 through 26. In verse 24, where it says, Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore the place has been called the valley of Achor, Ever since. That doesn't quite fit with the American view of Santa Claus God, does it? Is God being too severe? I'm not here to defend God, but I'm going to share some obvious reasons why this severe judgment happened. First of all, God is sending a, a message as the people enter Canaan, as they enter the promised land, this is just coming and he's sending a message, you are my holy people. You are my holy people, and wickedness will not be tolerated. We saw the same thing in Leviticus 10. In Leviticus 10, when the tabernacle worship was just initiated just getting started and the sons of Aaron were dis, were were disobedient and remember what happened to them they were fried they they used unauthorized fire and God used fire to destroy them at the beginning of the worship of the tabernacle we see the same thing in the book of acts in acts chapter 5 when the church is just getting started and the and God has just initiated the the, the church age and it's the beginning of the church and yet what happened in Acts chapter 5? Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit and God strikes them dead. It's, God is sending a clear message here at the start of entering the promised land that you are my holy people and wickedness, wickedness will not be tolerated. 
And this is a message to take to heart because we are God's holy people now. We are, we have, if we've put our faith in Christ, we have entered the, the new life that he's offering us, that he's commanded us to, to, to move into. And, and God is sending a clear message here. He also gave a clear command. He said, don't touch anything on Jericho. It's mine. After this, all the cities you take, the plunder, you're going to split it up. But this is mine. Don't touch it. And he gave a clear command. And even after that, he gave a one last chance to come forward. They, he gave them a chance to come forward. But remember what we saw last week? He, they wouldn't come forward. They, they hid it to the very end. What did that show? That they were hardened in their sin. It was hardened sin that they were hanging on to. And, and not only that, you say, well, why is the family killed? Well, listen, the whole family knew about this. In order to bury it in their tent, the tent was the house. Can you imagine coming into your house? Let's say dad says, I've, I've taken something and, and brings it in, rips the whole house apart, buries it in the floor and puts the floor back on. That's what it would have to be. Everybody in that family had to know what happened. They had to come in and dig up the whole floor of the tent. They all lived there and bury it. They, they obviously all were in on this. Any one of them could have come forward and told. When they're all being questioned, any one of them could have come forward and told. But they all enabled it. And let's not forget that it cost 36 innocent lives. 36 people were killed, really murdered by their sin. They were killed. And not only that, it shook all the whole nation up. It shook them all up. Remember what they were saying? We should have stayed on the other side of the, the, the Jordan. It couldn't... It, it, it couldn't caused this, everybody to be shook up. It discouraged everybody. It discouraged them all. Just like when our sin discourages other people from coming to Christ, or, or people who are Christians, it discourages them. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and that's what they did. And, and it was very serious because it paralyzed the whole nation and put God's purpose at risk. God's purpose for them taking the promised land, it put the entire thing at risk because of this sin. This also... And I know this is hard, believe me. I almost skipped these verses. <laughs> I prayed about it. I said, God, can I just like skip these last few verses? Jump to chapter 8. No. Okay, anyway. So, it, it also foreshadows the final judgment. It's a picture of God's judgment. God's final judgment. In fact, in Revelation 20, verse 11, we see God's final judgment. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And we see, just as all Israel had to come before Joshua to see who had sinned, we are going to see here in Revelation that all mankind is going to come before the ultimate Joshua, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So all mankind has to come before the great white throne. And just as Achan was exposed, he had no defense. Achan, before Joshua, had no defense. We all, all of our sin will be judged 
in God's sight. When we come before God, we're going to be judged in God's sight. There will be no dream team. You know, every time some celebrity gets in trouble, they form a dream team and, and get off of it. There will be no dream team that can stand before God. Revelation 20, verse 13 says this. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he has done. God will punish sin. He will hold everyone responsible for their actions. Everyone responsible for their actions. I know that in the USA today, no, very few people believe this, right? Look at the rebellion. Can you imagine if you somebody read this passage publicly, some politician or something, they'd march to the streets, right? There'd be a protest. We don't believe that. We're not going to submit to this. There'd be rioting. But there's not going to be any discussion because this is what's going to happen. God's in control. He's in charge. Just as Achan was burned... Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in, it, the book, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Just as Achan was burned, we see that all are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. God loves us. God loves us, but he's holy and just. And if we reject Jesus Christ, if we choose the God of this world, if we choose the world over Jesus, if we reject him, we're going to face the consequences. In fact, in Revelation 14, once again, another vivid picture of what what happened to Achan here. In Revelation 14, verse 9, a third angel followed them and said, In a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, they're talking about when the Antichrist comes, going to force everybody to receive the mark. We see the technology happening. We could easily see somebody taking over the the world like this, right? Uh, It says, verse 10, He too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. An encouragement to remain faithful to Jesus as we go through the persecutions that we're going to face is remembering Those who are persecuting, what they're going to get is a lot worse than anything we can get here. There's only one way. You read these passages together. There's only one way to escape this judgment, God's wrath. And that is if your name is written in the book of life. And there's only one way to get our names in the book of life. And that is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. The moment you say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I repent of that sin. I put my faith in Jesus and and my trust in him to forgive me. The moment you pray that prayer and give your life to God, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in that book? There's only one way to escape God's judgment. is by putting our faith in Jesus. 
The Old Testament God, a lot of people say, I don't like the Old Testament. That Old Testament God's mean. I like the New Testament God. It's the same God. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. It's the same God. There's only one difference. Who's sitting next to him? Who's sitting next to, to God now? The lamb that was slain. Jesus who was sacrificed. Jesus, now he's always been next to God, but he hadn't been slain. Now we have mercy and grace through the death of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the lamb that was slain. The lamb is sitting next to him, the crucified, risen lamb. And we can now approach the throne and find mercy and grace. But if we don't submit to Jesus, if we don't accept him as our Savior, we are facing God's judgment. Hell is real. Hell is real. Many people don't believe in hell anymore, at least not in the Bible's hell. Even born-again Christians, born-again Christians, only 50% believe in hell. Did you know that? Born-again Christians. Or, and even out of those who believe in hell, many have invented a new hell, a new improved hell. <laughs> you can listen to these TV preachers or read their books. It's, it's not a hot place. It's just separation from God. And it's temporary. You can get out of it any time. And you can get out of it somehow. There's ways to get out. A lot of you grew up being told how you can get people out, buy their way out, pray their way out. If people can get out, they can just change their minds somewhere in eternity and say, I don't like being separated from God. I want to go to heaven someday. Well, listen, I hope that's true. Or they, or they also teach, there's a lot of people now, they teach annihilation, that, that someone who didn't put their faith in Christ is dissolved and disappears. I hope that's true. And if that's true, I'll be thrilled when I get to heaven and find out that's true. I will be the happiest person in heaven if that's true. Trust me. But it's not taught in scripture, so I don't put my hope in it. Also, many believe that as long as you believe in a God, any old God will do. As long as you believe in a God, some supreme being out there, if you sincerely believe in that one God and you just you're okay with that supreme being, then you're okay. You're going to be okay. When God gets you, you'll say, I know you didn't know me, but it's okay. Come on in. That's a really common teaching in America today, isn't it? Now, you can believe that, but then you can't believe in Jesus. Because Jesus said very clearly, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The apostles said in Acts 4.12, they said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given, given to men by which we must be saved. There is one way. One way. Now, having said that, even among Christians who really believe in the biblical hell and really believe in Jesus, even among them, many, I'm going to say many, don't believe in hell for real. I'll try to explain what I'm trying to say here. They, they, we don't, 
many times live like we believe in hell. Many Christians, I will say this, are practical atheists when it comes to hell. They believe in it. They say they believe in it, but they don't really, we don't really live like it. How do I say it? Because we don't share our faith. We don't share our faith. If we really believe someone is going to hell, what wouldn't we do to keep them from going there? Right? Think of all the excuses why we don't share with people. Well, we're going to upset them and they'll be mad at me and they won't invite me to the next party and they're, you know, I don't want to scare people or, uh, you know, I, you know, think of all the reasons why we don't share our faith. What if, what if we saw someone in a burning house? You're driving by a neighbor's house and you see them in a burning house. Their house is on fire. What, what would you say? What would you do? What would you say? Well, I don't want to upset them. I'm not going to say anything. Or, I don't want to wake them up. Right? I mean, if I wake them up, they'll be upset. Or, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt them. Maybe they're watching TV. Or, I don't want them to, uh, you know, get mad at me. If I go in and tell them their house is on fire, they, they might get mad at me. I don't want to scare them. Scaring's not good. Right? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Think of the excuses we use not to share our faith. People are in a burning house. All of us were at one point. If Before we became Christians, we were in that burning house. If you're not a Christian today, you're in that burning house. I don't say that happily. I just, it's just what Jesus said. But, but are we practical atheists or do we really pray for people? When we see them, do we really see their, their spiritual condition? Do we pray for open doors? Listen, if you pray for people's salvation, you pray for open doors, God's going to give them to you. Do we throw out hooks all the time? These little hooks, I'm constantly throwing out a, a spiritual hook, hoping somebody will bite. You know, something about church, something about God, something about prayer. Throwing them, because every once in a while somebody bites them. What do you do when you get a bite? You reel them in, you know, and you get to share your faith. And, and that's constantly throwing out these little hooks. A lot of you saying, oh, that's how I'm here. He hooked me. Yes, I right. I'm constantly, prayerfully casting the hook. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Right? And that's what we're, are we doing that? Are we sharing every time there's an open door? Do we take advantage of that and share that? Are we living it? Are we living it in such a way that people are drawn to Jesus? Are we doing that? Hell is a reality. Many people say it's not good to scare people. You know, I've even, even had pastors say to me, I don't like to use those scare techniques. So I, don't, I don't like to use those methods. You know, <laughs> uh, We use fear to warn people about everything, right? Drunk driving, these commercials, drugs, commercials, right? Sexual diseases. We scare people because it's, it's consequences. Well, it's okay to preach about the truth, even if it's going to scare people. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Nothing's changed. Hell is a reality for those who don't follow Jesus Christ. Did you know this? Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else. And he spoke about hell 
more than he talked about heaven. Was Jesus a scaremonger, a fearmonger, a scary guy? He talked about hell more than heaven. Did you know that? In Matthew 25, I'm going to read a couple of verses that he, he shared, warning people, trying to keep them from going there. Matthew 25, verse 30. Listen to what he talks about here. He says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 30. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Parable about hell. Matthew, 5, uh, Matthew uh, 25, 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Eternal fire, and it was prepared for the devil and his, an, and his angels. Verse 46, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's eternal punishment. Luke 16, in Luke 16, Jesus gives a vivid picture, tells a story of hell which gives a very vivid picture of what hell is like. There was a rich man, verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell... Where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. This is back when, when Hal, Hades, uh, Abraham's bosom, and, and Hades were, were separated only by a gulf. This is before Jesus died on the cross because those in Abraham could not go to heaven yet. They were kept in a good place, Abraham's bosom, but they couldn't go yet because why? Sin wasn't paid for. It's when Jesus died and was buried. He went down, not into hell. People, there's this whole teaching that he went into hell and he was pinched by demons for three, year, three days and then he got out. No, no. He went into the Hades he went into was Abraham's bosom. He went down there and took those people up into heaven because now they could go into God's presence because sin had been atoned for. Sin had been paid for. They could go... We can go in God's presence now because sin has been paid for. So that's what he's talking about here. This was, this was temporary, Abraham's bosom, just as this hell is temporary. It's going to be Hades. It's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. We read that in Revelation already. Okay, so uh, verse 23. In hell, uh, in hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to tip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And beside all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also, so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. 
he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And Jesus was giving a prophetic picture there, wasn't he? Because it's true. Jesus rose from the dead and many still would not believe in him. Why did Jesus talk about hell so much? Because he doesn't want anyone to go there. He doesn't want us to go there. And that's why I preach about it so much. I don't want anybody to go there either. Jesus created hell for who? The devil and his angels. He doesn't want us to go there, but because we chose to follow the devil, many of us are going to follow him to hell. But here's the good news. The angels cannot repent. These fallen angels cannot repent. They cannot be forgiven. But we can be forgiven. We can repent because Jesus came in the form of a man and took our sin on the cross and he made a way for us to be forgiven and to to avoid following Satan and his angels to hell. That's why Jesus died this horrible death for us to save us from hell. In Hebrews 2.3, it says here, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? God is offering us a salvation. He's offering it to us. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1 and 2, it says this, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. The time to be saved is now. Now. Don't wait until it's too late. Whether you're sitting here listening to me or you're listening on a CD or you're listening on a podcast or a YouTube, don't wait until it's too late. Don't harden your heart like Achan hardened his heart and he waited till it was too late. Don't wait. Now is the day of salvation. Now. I'll close with this story before we pray. I remember riding in a car and I may have told this before, but I'll never forget it. I was... I was riding in a car and I was taking someone to the beach. I was a youth pastor and I was taking somebody's friend out to the beach, a young man who, I don't want to say too much because there's some connections, but 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 I was taking him out to the beach and I had a couple hours in the car with him and guess what we talked about? (laughs) You better believe it. Two hours in the car, this guy's going to hear the gospel and he heard it. I talked about a lot of things, but then we got to Jesus and got to the gospel, and I went through the whole thing, and and just was, I just had a, a, a leading to really share and encourage him to put his faith in Christ, and and I went through it clearly and and, and spoke to him, and and I'll never forget. I get to the end, and he's like, I, I'm just not ready to give up my life. I want to live my life. I'm not ready to give my life to God, and I said. Well, why? What, just why don't you just give it to him? What are you going to gain? You know what? 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 You're not. You're going to just give your life to Jesus. And I said, it's, it's you're living an empty life, and you're going to have an empty eternity. What is? What's going to happen? What if you were to die? 
and stand before God, what would you say? He said, I'll worry about it. I'll never forget. He says, I'll worry about that when I get there. Just really hardened. And I pleaded with him. He says, I'll worry about that when I get there. I can't remember how quickly it happened. It was a short time later. It was weeks later that he was killed in a car accident. And it just cut me like a knife. Because I knew he was now facing, worrying about it later, worrying about it now. Let's pray. How is God speaking to each one of us as we go to this time of prayer? Maybe here today, and you realize maybe for the first time that you are facing hell. Every one of us has been in that same place under God's judgment, facing hell. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And you realize today What fear really means. You realize that facing eternity, not just separated from God, but in hell. Did that rich man, was he having any fun with his friends? He was in hell. But the, but the fear is just meant to drive us to Jesus. It's just meant to drive us to our knees at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's meant to drive us to the love of God. What God did for us because of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to plead with you to do it today. Now is the day of salvation. You can do that right now. You can pray a prayer of faith right to God from your heart right now. Just say, God, please forgive me. Every sin, everything I've ever done wrong, everything I've ever done against your word and your will, please forgive me. I repent of that old life. I will turn away from those sins. I want to change. I want you to change my life. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in your son, Jesus. I believe he was the lamb of God. I believe he died on that cross in my place. He was my substitute, my ransom. 
I believe he died for me. He came back alive for me to give me a new life. I put my faith in Jesus. And I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him. I give you my life, God. Forgiveness, faith, and follow. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you never have to fear judgment again. You never have to fear hell again. You never have to fear the consequences of sin again. We never have to fear God again. Oh, he'll still discipline us. when we need disciplining, but, but he will never judge us because we are his children now. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. If you have put your faith in Jesus, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. You have a new life here on this earth and you have a new life forever with God someday. And guess who's going to be sitting right next to God the Father? It's Jesus Christ, his son. If you've prayed that prayer of faith and and given your life to God, I want to encourage you to let, let someone know. Maybe you're here with a family member or friend. Let them know. Or tell me, let me know. Either way, let me know. I'd love to hear it. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Email me. Text me. Let me know because I'll be so excited. I want to also encourage you in your new life in Christ. While we're still praying, how is, maybe you've already put your faith in Christ, but how is God speaking to us this morning? Maybe we've been living as practical atheists. But the Holy Spirit's convicting us and opening our eyes to those around us. Will we pray for people's salvation? As we run into people all the time, we just keep praying for people's salvation. Will we pray for open doors? God, give me chances to share my faith. To share about the love of Jesus. To share how to have freedom in Christ. Will we become fishers of men? Will we keep throwing out these little hooks? I'll pray for you. Or all kinds of ways we can throw out hooks. Spiritual hooks. Bringing people to Jesus. Will we live out the gospel of Jesus? Will our lives attract people? 
Who is God laying on our heart? What that, that person, I know there's people in our, that God lays on our heart. Who's that one person that God is laying on our heart, even now, to pray for? And to look for that opening. And to share our faith and share Jesus with them. Father, I pray that you would give us so many chances, so many open doors to share the gospel this week that we'll just be overwhelmed and energized. And I pray that Philemon 1.6 would be a reality to us. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of all the good things we have in Christ Jesus. I pray that it would just energize us spiritually, Father. I pr- we pray for the salvation of those that we love, our family and friends that we know don't know you. We pray for their salvation, Father. And even those we don't love, our enemies, we pray for their salvation, Father. Pray you put a deep burden on our heart for this. In Jesus' name, amen.